So, like Linda, I was listening to uh, Dr. David Jeremiah talking about the coming Russian invasion. So he was talking about Ezekiel chapter 38, and as I listened to it, it's, it's the book called The Book of Signs. It's, it's an enormous book that's well worth your time studying it. I, I listened to it on Audible. And The Book of Signs has a chapter in there on Russia, and I thought, wow, with the current situation in the Ukraine, it wouldn't be inappropriate, I hope, uh, to stop our Luke study long enough to just go through this invasion of Russia and what it relates to in end time events. So that's kind of what I'm going to attempt to do today, uh, and I, I, I hope it works out for all of us. Uh, so we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 38, uh, and if if you want me to continue, and if I feel good about it, oh good, another Norton pop-up. I was hoping we'd have another interruption. Thank you, Norton. Rob, would you call the Norton company and tell them to leave me alone, please? Uh, and uh, where was I? Uh, so Ezekiel, Ezekiel, they believe, was born in 622 B.C. I believe he was older than Daniel. I've been trying to work that out. He was, believe, they believe, about 25 years old when he was taken into captivity along with all the guys with Daniel in that first carrying away. Daniel, we think, was 15, a little bit younger anyway. Uh, these prophecies were probably prophesied about 595 B.C., 2,600 years ago. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. When you look at these prophecies in relation to what we're looking at, I think that 2,500 years ago in Babylon, a Hebrew prophet sat down and heard God speaking to him and wrote these words down, and they read like today's news. Well, maybe Fox News. I don't know about CBS or ABC. Uh, so Ezekiel is commanded to prophesy against these nations that we're going to look at in chapter 38. Um, now, just a little background. If God is looking at the earth and he's talking about geography, Israel is in the center. So north are nations north of Israel, east, east, west, west of Israel, south, south of Israel. So it's not Canada and Mexico we're talking about, all right? It's, it's Russia and Africa, all right? And the word of the Lord, it says, let me get my little mouse going here, if I can wake him up here. Wake up, mouse. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. They believe Gog is a title, like king or pharaoh, uh, some think of it as a as a uh, distorted definition of God. Uh, Magog, on the other hand, as a person, was the second son of Japheth, the grandson of Noah. So Magog was Noah's grandson, and they believe Magog is the land belonging to some of Japheth's prosperity. And I'll show you a map in just a minute. So the land of Magog is where Noah's grandson settled, they believe. The land is thought to be the domain of the Scythians. That's the areas around the Black Sea, the Caspian Seas, 
And Dr. Uh, Jeremiah calls them the Stan countries, and I'll pronounce their names wrong, I know, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan, the Stan countries. Now, when we get a map up, you'll see how they will relate. Uh, Meshach and Tubal were the fifth and sixth sons of Japheth, which would make, grand, make them grandsons of Noah. And Schofield identifies Meshach, the town named after Meshach, as Moscow, and the town named after Tubal as Tablisk. I don't know how to say that. The former capital of Siberia. Uh, now, in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 8, Gog and Magog are two people groups, two different people groups. Now, Schofield sees this as two cities. When you read Revelation, you think of it as two different people groups, but everyone agrees it's talking about Russia. The next verse reads, I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaw, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army and horses and horsemen, all them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now, the, the emphasis here, uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown says, is it's like a wild beast that wants to go in one direction, and God says, you're, you're going to want to go in one direction, I'm going to turn you. You're going to think to go in one direction, and I'm going to turn you. And I'm going to turn you in the direction that I want to turn you, and I will bring thee forth. And all of thine army and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. Now, there are those that say, why, why, is, why are they riding horses? Why are they carrying swords and bows? And why are they having bucklers and shields? And I don't have an answer for that except to say, if Ezekiel had written armored personnel carriers, tanks, bazookas, and helicopters, people would have known he was crazy. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, the prophet had to work with the limitations of the language that he had, and I think God wasn't going to speed things up by telling us we, we could build tanks and armored vehicles. So I, I just think it's... It's just language that's appropriate for the day, not necessarily, although I, I do believe in literal interpretation, I don't feel the need to carry it so far that we're going to see an army of millions of people showing up with swords. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I, I think their swords are going to be weapons. Let's go on. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, with them, all of them, with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands in the house of Togomorah, Togarma, sorry, and the North Quarters and all his bands and many, many people with thee. Now, Russia is really... Now let me show you this map if I can bring that up for you. This is where it's believed the sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, settled. The Hamitic peoples in the northern coast of Africa, the Shemites in what we call the Arabian Peninsula and, of course, Israel, and the Japhethites to the north. So if you're European... Well, we're all mixed up now. I, I've probably got five, six different uh, genetic strains in me, if not a hundred genetic strains. But generally, they thought of the, the, the European peoples as being Japhethites, the, uh, the Jews and Arabs, Semites, and the Hamitic peoples, Hamites, or Hamitic. So uh, Persia, uh, I wonder if I should bring that up while you're listening to this. Let's go to a modern map. And unfortunately, this map, I, I like the simplicity of the colors because it shows up well for you. So 
but unfortunately, it kind of cuts off Israel. Israel, Jordan, right down at the bottom. You can't, you, you can't even see Somalia and Syria. It's just a little tip of green to the left of Israel. Well, you can see right, right over in here is Libya tipping up there, and Israel, and just down below that is uh, Egypt, and below Egypt is Somalia. All right, and I, I'll explain that in a minute. Persia is now Iran. Persia is now Iran, uh, and that was it, they, they renamed themselves in 1935, but since 1979, they renamed themselves again as the Islamic Republic of Iran. Iran and Russia will be the driving force of this, and you can see that. The Russian Federation, and you can see Iran, and you see the stand countries are stuck right in the middle. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Uh, Ethiopia was founded by Cush, the grandson of Noah, through his grandson, Ham, at the time of Ezekiel, Ethiopia was the land south of Egypt. It wasn't Egypt, it was south of Egypt. And it's now called the Sudan. And the Sudanese peoples are one of Israel's fiercest enemies. I want you to think about what's being set up here. This is prophesied 2,500 years ago. Libya is the only one that retains its ancient name. Libya is west of Egypt, founded by Put, son of Ham. Gomer, uh, there's one they're really not sure about. Gomer was the first son of Japheth, firstborn son of Japheth, a grandson of Noah. Uh, the, if you can believe Wiki, they say the Hebrew name Gopher, Gomer, sorry, refers to the, Cimer, the Sumerians who dwelt in what is now southern Russia, beyond the Caucasus. Now, the Caucasus Mountains, beyond the Caucasus is this area right in here. The Caucasus Mountains are right in there. So that's Georgia, Azerbaijan, and Armenia, I think. Now, what I want you to see here, uh, I got the map of Europe. So the, the, the question is, who will attack? Who will attack in this predicted attack from 2,500 years ago? It's hard to imagine how old that is, 2,590 years ago. These are the nations that will march against Israel. The combined armies of Russia and Turkey will lead the coalition, joined by Iran from the east, Sudan and Libya from the south, now, some feel Gomer, because of the root of the name in Germany, some feel this is Germany, but I kind of agree with the Wikipedia, if, if you could say such heresy in a church, and that it's probably Georgia, this area right in here. And when you think of that, if you have a coalition from Russia coming right on down into Iran, Turkey, Syria, and Israel, it's a wide open path. It's a wide open path. Uh, now... Right now, Russia is invading the Ukraine, and I, I, I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. I listen to too much news. I get depressed and still don't know what's going on. But I know there's a lot of uh, minerals and raw materials in the Ukraine that they can use. Uh, and I don't know what this particular thing is going to precipitate, precipitate. I, I don't know, so I, I, I don't even dare speak about that. But God, God warns these invaders when he turns them to attack Israel, he says to them, Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, you, thou, and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be a guard unto them. So it's almost a little divine irony here. He said, You boys better get yourselves ready. When you march on my people, you know, you're going to, you better watch out for your army. You be a guard unto them. 
You know, and to Israel in the next verse, speaking to Israel, he says to them, after many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. Now, I, I don't know where, whether to talk about it now or not, but you, I, I trust most of you are familiar with the history of Israel and that, that God carried them into captivity in Babylon and that's where this prophecy uh, originated. And then they returned to their homeland and for four or five hundred years they were able to be in their own homeland and then God drove them out again uh, with uh, the Roman army and for two thousand years they'd been scattered all over the world. And here's a prophecy from 2,600 years ago that said, after many days you'll be visited, and in the later years, so you have two visits, right? Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. You're going to come back to your home country. And is gathered out of many people. You know, Israel returned from Babylon, but they weren't gathered from the nations. But this is a prophecy that they'll be gathered from the nations. So you see in this a prophecy that not only will they return from Babylon, but they're going to return a second time after a very long time from places all over the world. Against the mountains of Israel, which have always been a waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely in all of them. After many days, I will return and visit you, he says. Israel was recognized as a nation in 1948, but they did not have access to the mountains that they're being told they're going to live peacefully in. They're, they have not been able to live in those mountains until 1967, what they call the Six-Day War. That's the first time they had access to parts of Jerusalem as well as the mountains of Israel. And this is the first time they've ever been there. Uh, now here's a message to the, uh, the, uh, the invading army. It says, uh, Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, and thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God. It shall also come to pass, and that same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up into the land of unwalled cities. I will go to them that are at rest and dwell safely. Of all them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon people that are gathered out of the nations, that's his people, Israel, of course, which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. So we know why they will attack, all right? We know where the invasion will occur. We even know when the invasion will occur. And that's sort of what I wanted to share with you today. First of all, the why they will attack is because we see it in verse 11 and 12. They want to seize Israel's land. They want to steal Israel's wealth. And they want to slaughter the people of Israel. I, I don't know why these nations have it in for Israel. I, I don't understand it. They, they've certainly got enough wealth and natural resources of their own. They certainly have enough people, they don't, they, and they certainly have enough room. Uh, these nations have plenty of room. They're not, they're not worried about overpopulation. So why, why are they interested in Israel except Israel belongs to God and they hate God? That's the only thing I can think of is why they have this chronic uh, four or 5,000 year persecution of the people of Israel. Now, we know that the attack will come through the valleys onto the mountains of Israel in verse 8. Russia is 800 times larger than Israel. They can barely get an army the size they're going to bring in into the nation of Israel. 
We even know when the invasion will occur, and there are three requirements. The first two, only the first two, have been met. So I'm going to tell you that this invasion of the Ukraine is not the invasion that we're studying today. And I, I don't believe that it is. Now, next week when they march on Israel, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to say, oops, I was wrong about that. So I'm not a prophet. God hasn't spoken to me. But at least we know that in order for this invasion to occur, three things have to happen. One, the dispersed people will have to be regathered into their land. Well, that's already happened, 1948. They've been regathering ever since 1948. Jews have been returning. Second, Israel must be present in its original lands, which include the mountains. Occupying the mountains of Israel before 1967, as I've already said, was impossible. But after the Six-Day War, they began to settle in those regions of Israel. Now they are occupied. So the first two steps, if you take this pro prophecy literally, the first two steps are in fact uh, met. The third requirement, however, has not been met. The third requirement, let's see if I see it. Yeah, it is on verse 11 at the top. I underline it, the land of unwalled villages to go them that are arrested that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. That is not Israel today. All right. Israel cannot remember a time in her history, at least since returning from Babylon, where verse 11 would apply to them. So we ask ourselves, when will it be that Israel will no longer fear for her own defense? When will it be that little Jewish boys and girls will have to learn to use assault weapons and stand their ground in their own homes? When will that be? You know, but a third requirement, they must be living in such peace that they give up their, their weapons of war and they're actually defenseless against, against this onslaught of this, this six or seven nation confederacy that is marching this enormous army against them. Uh, when will that time? Uh, it's certainly not now. So I would say to you, this is probably going to happen later. Uh, I believe if we go to Daniel, do I have it here? Yeah, I'm, I want to just briefly read through this. I don't want to spend a lot of time with it, but I do believe that after Antichrist rises to power and after Antichrist and Israel sign a covenant together, then will be a time that they will lay down their weapons. Now, I want to parallel that to something because and I don't know the history uh, well enough of, uh, of uh, the Ukraine. But there was a time that you the Ukraine hosted nuclear weapons as defense and they were talked out of them. They were literally defenseless. And that became the opportunity that plus a miserable foreign policy by the United States and NATO to give Putin an opportunity to invade. So because of their weakness, it provided an opportunity. And I don't know whether it was NATO or Russia that talked them out of their weapons, but I do believe the time will come in the future where they're going to attempt to talk Israel out of their weapons, and they're going to believe someone who's going to convince them that they don't need those weapons, that we will protect you. I was told by someone on the news that the Ukraine was told if they'll give up their nuclear weapons, don't worry, we will protect you. Don't worry, we'll protect you. There's a reason we have a Second Amendment in the United States. Uh, so we know the when, and we know it hasn't happened yet. So I do not believe, 
I do not believe there is an occasion to connect the invasion of the Ukraine with the invasion of Israel, but I'll tell you, I'm not surprised. I would not be surprised if we're not setting, setting the stage for that very event. And I don't know what it means when God says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and I'm going to turn you. And I don't, I don't, I don't know how it's going to play out, but I do believe we're, we're dancing around this prophecy in reality. I think we're seeing the events, the nations come together and shape up for this, this very time. Now, the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel 9, a contemporary of Ezekiel, the prophecy of Daniel uh, says 70 weeks are determined upon that people. I'm just going to read it. Uh, I'm, we just went through it a year ago. I think you're comfortable with it. To make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. So we know that 70 weeks, and we know each week is a week of years, 490 years. That's all Israel has, 490 years. That's it. You know. Now we know when Jesus was rejected and executed, that time clock stopped at, at 69 weeks. And we know... 69 weeks of years, prophetic years, and we know that Israel has one more week. You and I call that the tribulation. From Israel's standpoint, that's her last week. That's her 70th week. You know, so you, you're comfortable with this, I hope. I hope I'm not going and confusing. You know, therefore, and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, three score, and two weeks, 69 weeks, and the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So from the time uh, Artaxerxes Longimanus said you can return until Jesus came, we knew it was 883,000 prophetic days. And Jesus was upset that the Jews did not know when he was coming, when, they, when God actually gave them a date. All they had to do was count 183,880 days. And that's the very day that Jesus asked for the donkey and presented himself as the king of Israel. But no one recognized it, or at least not people in power recognized it. So we, we know this prophecy was literally fulfilled. And then you have this thing, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Well, he was. Karat is the word executed for a capital crime. His crime was saying that he was God, see. But not for himself. He didn't die for himself. He died for us. We know this. This is the gospel. And the people of the prince that shall come, that's the Roman army, shall destroy the city. And they did. And the sanctuary. They did. They pulled it down block by block. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. Flood speaks of judgment. The next 2,000 years after the destruction of Israel would be a judgment on the people of Israel for their rejection of the Messiah. So that doesn't mean they can't be saved. Don't misunderstand me. All it means is they're going to have a tough time until they get their last week. Then it's going to really get tough. You know, they might, I don't think anyone's looking forward to that last week. That's what we call the tribulation. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And to the end of the war, the war that started with... Uh, uh, Vespasian, when he when he invaded the, when the Roman army invaded Jerusalem, that is still going on. Israel is at war with the lost world and has been ever since Rome invaded in AD seventy. And the end of the war, until the end of the war, desolations are determined. It's going to be a mess. That's and it has been a mess. If you were Jewish and you knew your Jewish history, you would know the history of Israel is tough. It's been tough. And then it says, so we have this, let me back up if I can figure out how to do that. Uh, and to the end of the war, desolations are determined. So we have Titus Vespasian, A.D. 70, and then we have this long period of judgment of Israel, the flood, 
and desolations determined for Israel. Every time they get their feet on the ground, the nation, wherever they're living, turns against them, drives them out. It's just incredible how those poor Jewish people have suffered uh, through the, the, the treatment that the Gentile nations have given them. So you have this guy attack in AD 70 of this long period of war. And then it says, and he, who's he? Well, we don't know. Well, we think it's Antichrist. We think it's at the end. And he shall confer the covenant with many for one week. Uh, I don't know who that is, but I'm assuming we're talking about a contract between Israel and the Antichrist. In other words, things are going to get so bad in that part of the world that a leader is going to arise and he's going to bring peace. He's not going to be... He's not going to be elected to lead the world because he's going to promise war. He's going to be able to produce peace. And it's interesting, we were listening to a preacher last night talking about how all of Europe is looking for someone who can somehow solve the problems that Europe is facing right now. You know, And they'd vote for anyone who could figure out how to deal with this problem. Isn't that an interesting thought? You know, we, we, I, I mean, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to know prophecy. And I'm keep thinking, I wish somebody would step up and help us. I wish someone would step up and help us. So if you see me raving mad about some antichrist, please knock me in the head and tell me to shut up. Because I'm like the rest of the world. I, I wish somebody would step in and, and unscrew this mess that we're in. And the problem is somebody is going to step in. He's going to take control. He's going to be a good leader. The world is going to listen to him. They're going to think he's wonderful. He's not going to offend everybody like Trump did. He's not going to tweet. He's not going to be a rank liberal. He's not going to be an ultra conservative. He's going to be perfect. Perfect. We, we, we had lunch with a guy. How's my time doing? We had lunch with a guy uh, and he's a minister from the Midwest, and he came over here, and he's, he's pastor in one of our churches in Montpelier. And because he had some extra time as a small church, he offered himself as a chaplain. He's a nationally certified chaplain. So they just call him Chap. And so he goes to the Montpelier Police Department. He offers himself as a chaplain. The, 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 the chief of police there, I think there, is temporary. And he said, oh, that's a great idea. People will be happy to have somebody that can mediate in these crises. And he said, I'd love to help if I could. So the chief of police hires this guy as a chaplain for Montpelier, and the town goes nuts. They don't want some racist, homophobic, right-wing, religious nut working for them. And they've had to ask him to resign. They had to fire him. Do you believe it's gotten so bad that you and I as Christians have such a bad name that they wouldn't allow you to help the police department in Montpelier because you're a Baptist? That's a scary thought. You know, Linda said this morning while we're eating breakfast that the noose is tightening. It's hard to believe how far down we've gotten. And we're all looking for something, someone that will, that will solve this problem. And it looks like a guy's going to step up and Israel's going to believe him. And they're going to lay down their weapons. They're going to give up their nuclears their nuclear power, they're going to give up their, their iron shield, their iron dome, and they're going to believe that this man is going to bring peace, which is going to happen for about seven years. And then, you know, this invasion is going to happen. Or sometime during that time, after they dwell in peace, after their weapons are down, after their bars are off their windows, then the invasion is going to come. But for us, Paul says, we don't need to be afraid. This is my point. The third requirement hasn't happened yet. So at least if we're to if we even understand this, we don't need to be afraid. Look, look at the pattern of Ezekiel. Ezekiel six chapters. We'll read them. No, we probably shouldn't. Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. 
36 and 37 speak about the regathering of the nation of Israel in her homeland. Chapters 40 and 41 speak, that's on the other side of this prophecy, on the other, so that's before this prophecy, on the other side of this prophecy, chapters 40 and 41, speaking of a believing nation of Israel in the millennial time, and the chapters that we're looking at today speak of the invasion of Gog and Magog. So we know that the invasion is after they return to their homeland and just before or before they're in the millennium. So that sets us in the time frame. So we know that Israel's invasion will not happen until Israel dwells securely in their own land and they give up their weapons. That hasn't happened yet. Are we close? I don't know. Is, is, is Russia going to be satisfied with the Ukraine if it gets to Ukraine? Is Russia going to be happy with that? Are they going to be defeated and draw back in defeat and, and rededicate themselves to come back harder? Are they going to be defeated? Is God going to turn them into Israel? We don't know any of these things. We really don't. But I do believe the stage is set. The nations are on the scene. So if we're not in the end times, I would be very surprised. But Paul writes to the Thessalonians that we shouldn't be concerned so much that we aren't able to function anyway. Do not be soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit or by word nor by letters from us. As at the day of Christ, now that's just another word for the second coming of Christ, which, which in our mind, being pre-tribulational uh, interpreters of Scripture, means the day of Christ is the time of the tribulation. This letter from us is the day of Christ. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Well, I think we're seeing the falling away, aren't we? When a, when a Baptist can't even serve on the police force in Montpelier. The falling away is happening all around the world. There's little doubt about that. And that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. So first there's a falling away. Then the man of sin is revealed. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, Paul writes, only he who now letteth, and that, that's an unfortunate word. If you read it in a more modern translation, it'll say hinder. Believe it or not, in Old English, let meant not to let. <laughs> I don't understand that. But let meant not to let. So uh, he who now hinders will continue to hinder until he be taken out of the way. Now, we've always interpreted that, interpreted that as the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit is removed, Antichrist will not be revealed that's the way we interpret that passage and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming so our understanding is that prior to the revelation of antichrist the church is going to be drawn out when the holy spirit is drawn out i'm pre-trib rapture i believe we're going to be raptured out of here linda's always saying the rapture is next and it's soon i hope she's right I really do. Uh, might get in one more sailing season, but uh, I hope the I hope the rapture is near. I really do. Uh, after the rapture, I I don't think we're going to know who the Antichrist is. I don't think, we're, we're, at least not while we're here. I, I bet someone's going to come along, and there'll be a lot of speculation. Though, did I put the last verse? Looks like I didn't put it on my thing. Anyway, 
I pulled this off of Facebook and it's fuzzy, I know. I couldn't get it any clearer for you. I don't know what's going on in Ukraine. If I knew, I would tell you. I don't know what's going on. One minute I think we should support the Ukrainian people, and the next minute I think maybe we should be supporting the Russians. Uh, I'll never forget, there was a movie about Vietnam, and it was the Battle for Way in 1968. And they asked the Marine in the movie, Full Metal Jacket, they said, do you believe in the war? And the Marine goes, yeah, 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 yeah I believe in the war. Do you think you're doing a good work here? He said, yeah, yeah, I do. I, do. I, think, this, I think this is an important thing we're doing over here. I think the United States is correct to be here. And then right at the last phrase, he says to the newsman, this is the movie now, the last phrase, he says, the only thing is, I, I think we might be killing the wrong people. You know, I think, wow, if that doesn't describe the, the Vietnam War, in, in a nutshell, I, I think we might be killing the wrong people. Uh, I, I hope we're not killing the wrong people in the Ukraine. I really do. I don't, I don't think I could stand up for Putin. I don't think smashing cities into oblivion and killing civilians make any sense at all. But it scares me when I see a post like this, a conservative post that talks about all the people that support the war in the Ukraine. And I ask myself, why are all these, these people in, in favor of it? All these people that I don't trust. I don't trust them as far as I could throw them. Why are they supporting this? Why are they beating the drums of war? What is going on in the Ukraine? I don't know the answer to that. But I do think we, we need to be in prayer. I think like Linda said in the beginning, we need to commit ourselves to follow Christ. We need to be sensitive to what's going on. We need to listen carefully and say little and, and try to figure out where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? We're living right now in some of the most dangerous times we've ever lived in since Hitler. And uh, when, you, when you couple up the, the impact of Russia and China on the financial stability and military stability of the United States, we're in a very precarious position here. So be in prayer for your country. Pray for our young people that they're not called up into another silly, stupid war. That, that whatever is done is done for the right reasons. It just scares me when I see the people that support this war. Father, watch over us, I pray. Keep us safe. Lord, give us wisdom to know how best to act. We know, Lord, that of all, at, at any time, we're always right to share the gospel. At any time, we're always right to go to you in prayer. At any time, we're always right to keep trusting you. So, Father, help us, we pray, to keep trusting you, not to be afraid, not to be soon shaken, but instead to trust in the prophecies of your book that we, Father, will be with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.